0: against me occasionally. I know that's shocking to some of you that anybody would ever criticize me for anything, but it does happen every once in a while. Uh, But I hear this against me and oftentimes I hear others say it about others. I suppose everyone who is over someone has heard the same charge, whether it be parents, teachers, or bosses. And all of us who report to someone else has probably leveled the charge against those who oversee us. So what criticism or charge am I talking about? The oft-repeated charge of lack of communication. I didn't do what someone wanted me to do because they didn't communicate their expectations clearly. I would have done it I would have gladly done whatever they expected me to do if they would have just told me exactly what it is they wanted me to do. I mean, I would be a much better employee and no doubt get the raises and promotions that I so greatly deserve to get if my boss would just tell me, communicate clearly what he or she wants me to do and then I would do it. And no doubt our students here would say the same thing about their classwork or their teachers. Very seldom do we ever stop to think that maybe someone did communicate something very clearly. We just did not hear it or pay attention. On multiple occasions now, our son, who will graduate from the University of Tennessee in just a couple of months, but over the course of his college career, on multiple occasions, He has gone to all of the trouble. It happened again this past week. He has gone to all of the trouble of getting up, getting ready, driving down to campus to attend a class that he discovered when he got there had been canceled. And he or just a handful of others were the only ones that showed up. Now that's not a lack of communication. When you're the only one that shows up for a canceled class, that's not a lack of communication. That is lack of listening. Now, to his credit, he's not blaming others, and he seems to understand that. So if we're honest, there is a issue on both sides. Sometimes it is a lack of communication. Sometimes it is a lack of listening or paying attention, and sometimes, of course, it can be a little of both. Let me invite you into my home and share with you a conversation me and my wife have regularly. I told you that already. No, you didn't. Yes, I told you that multiple times. No, you did not. And we're both on the side, we're both on each side from time to time. So sometimes we think we've communicated clearly and we have not, and other times we have, and they simply haven't listened. Now frankly, we sometimes make that claim toward God. If God would just clearly tell me what it is that I'm supposed to do, I would gladly do it. We want the handwriting on the wall. Never mind that the original recipient of the handwriting on the wall, King Belshazzar, that didn't turn out too well for him. That's Daniel chapter 5 if you want to look it up later. But we want clear communication and without it we go with our gut. We think about the dream that we had last night or the vision we received in our breakfast cereal None of these, of course, are definitive, but we think that's the best we can do sometimes. We read stories in the Bible where God specifically talked to someone individually, even as we're going to this morning, and we think, that's what I want. I just wish God would do the same for me. That's why contemporary stories of God speaking draw so much attention and even envy with little discernment on the part of the larger Christian culture as to whether it is, whether or not whatever someone says God said is actually true. We hunger for the voice of God. and We want God to speak, to tell us what to do so that we can find purpose in what it is we're doing. And then we will have no doubt that we are being obedient to him and thus pleasing him. So the question before us this morning is very simple, yet confusing to many. Does God still speak to us today? And if so, how? Well, to answer that question, we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 3, all 21 verses, 1 Samuel chapter 3, under the title, God Communicates. And with that as our title, I've already answered the question, does God communicate today? And the answer is yes. Yes. Let's read our text, 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do to you. And also more if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Now if you've been with us in this series on ancient encounters, you know that we have now skipped two books. We were in the book of Joshua last week, and now we've skipped over the books of Judges and Ruth, at least in our English Bibles. In the Hebrew Bible, the book of Ruth comes much later. And in that Bible, therefore, the book of Judges is followed by the book of Samuel. And it was initially one book, not divided into two, as we have it in our Bibles. And so the book of Judges ends with a repeated statement that comes several times in that book. The last verse of the book of Judges says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So we've gone from Joshua leading the people of Israel into the rest of the promised land. And now some many years later, that rest has turned into chaos and darkness where the people are no longer following the Lord. They're simply doing whatever it is they want to do. I said last week that when we came to Joshua, he was probably less known to us than any of the three we had looked at before. That is, in this series, we've looked at Abraham, Joseph, and Moses, and I said of those three, Joshua is the least known. Well, that is certainly equally true of our topic this morning. Samuel is less known than any of those other four. Most of us know very little about him, even though there are two books in the Bible that bear his name. But in these two books, we know more about the other two main characters than we do Samuel. And the other two main characters are the first two kings of Israel, Saul and David. Now, I do not mean to imply that there's not a lot of material about Samuel. There certainly is. I'm simply assuming, right or wrong, that most of us don't know that much about his life. There's really no major event to associate with him. I've often started these sermons by, by saying, let's think back to our Sunday school days and, and what is it, what story do we think about when we think about this character? And when it comes to Samuel, there really is no such story other than perhaps his anointing of those two kings that I just mentioned. But Samuel was not a king. He was sort of a transitionary figure. He was in one sense one of the, or the last judge from the time of the judges and a judge was a a leader in Israel who during a crisis led in a particular region of Israel he did not lead the entire nation just a particular area and he's also a, a prophet as we will see and as a prophet it is Samuel's responsibility to speak to these first two kings Saul and David and it is presumed That because Samuel is going to be speaking for the Lord, that these two kings are going to listen and submit to his words. Samuel was born to a woman by the name of Hannah. Hannah, for many years, had had trouble bearing children, and this was troubling her. So every year when the family came to Shiloh to sacrifice and worship, she would pray that God would give her a son. And sometimes these prayers were accompanied with tears. And on one occasion, she's pouring out her heart to God. And she says to God, if you will give me a son, I will give him back to you for all of his days. And God answered her prayer and gave her this son, this son named Samuel. And so she was faithful to her vow, returning him to the Lord, which means he is going to be raised in Shiloh by the priest Eli. And that's where we find Samuel in chapter 3. According to the Jewish historian Josephus, Samuel at this time is at the age of 12, which means he's been with Eli for about a decade. Hannah would have kept him until he was weaned, and then she would have taken him to Eli. So he's been with Eli for nearly a decade. And while Eli is his surrogate and spiritual father, Eli is also the physical father to two other boys, two young men by the name of Hophni and Phineas, who were not really boys as we'll see in just a moment, and they were certainly not nice boys at that. With that as our background, I want us to see first of all that God does communicate and he does communicate through silence. I realize that that sounds a bit contradictory in terms because we normally think of communication as involving speech, certainly not silence, but that's not always the case. I mean, we even have a phrase to describe it. Sometimes we say the silence is deafening, meaning that the silence is speaking very loudly. We know we can give nonverbal clues to people through our silence. We can give them the cold shoulder. The lack of speaking, actually speaking volumes. And so our story opens with the admission that the Word of, the, of God was rare in those days, and there was no frequent visions. God was speaking, but He was letting his people know through His silence that He was not pleased with them. Chapter 2 and verse 12 says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. I called them boys earlier, but they're really men. And they are priests, and yet they are worthless. Religion was alive and well. They were going through the motions of sacrifice and worship, and yet it was all done in spiritual darkness. Not only was it done in darkness, it was done in sin and rebellion as well. These two priests, chapter 2 tell us, were taking the best portions of the sacrifices that were supposed to be reserved for the Lord and they were taking it for their own supper. They were getting fat, literally speaking, on the fat portions of the animals that were supposed to be given to the Lord pretty much doing whatever they wanted to do. Again, following in the lines of the judges that had gone before them and the people. And on top of all of that, Eli knew of this wickedness and had done nothing about it. His physical eyesight, the Bible tells us, had deteriorated. But what was far more troubling was his spiritual perception was seriously lacking. And as a result, God was going to judge this entire priestly family, a father and his two sons. And the sign that it was God doing it was these two sons were both going to be killed on the same day. And all of this had been communicated to Eli several years. We don't know exactly, but several years before chapter 2 tells us an unnamed man came to Eli and told him that all of this was going to take place in the future. And this priestly family was going to be replaced by Samuel. But we're getting ahead of ourselves just a little bit, so of course I say that God was silent, but at the same time, it was certainly possible, and this is conjecture on my part, I acknowledge, but it was certainly possible that God was trying to speak, but they just could not hear him. We've seen this possibility in other portions of the Bible. I mean, what did Adam and Eve do after their tragic sin? When God came to speak with them in the garden, did they come out to meet him? No, they hid from God. They were afraid of his presence because of their sin. We saw in the book of Exodus recently, as we're reading through the Bible, that the people said to Moses, you speak to us. We do not want God to speak to us. You see, their sin had led to them bef- to the point where they didn't want God to communicate with them because they assumed God's communication would be judgment and wrath. It was no longer comforting and encouraging. And so they said to Moses, We don't even want to hear from God. You speak to us on God's behalf, lest we die. Likewise, it is certainly possible that God is trying to communicate with us, but we are too busy, too distracted too disobedient to hear certainly as we'll see shortly if we don't avail ourselves to the primary means of communication in our time then there's no wonder that we wonder where is god we complain about the silence of god and then we don't prioritize our time with him in his word and through prayer it's as if we're telling god we want to hear from you but we want to do it on our terms And of course, we understand in our lucid moments that it just doesn't work that way. It is certainly a telling point in this story that it takes Eli the third time. Remember, he's a priest, and he has been a priest for many years. And yet it's the third time when Samuel comes to him that it finally dawns on Eli that indeed God is speaking to the boy. Well, the second thing we notice is that God communicates through Samuel. He has communicated through silence, and now he is going to communicate through Samuel. And this is the heart of our story. We certainly cannot blame Samuel for not recognizing the voice of God, because again, he's an early teenager, and this is presumably the first time that God has spoken to him. This is his first encounter with God. So three times in the early morning hours, that's what it means when it says the lamp had not, had not yet gone out. It means that it's not yet dawn because at dawn the lamp would go out. And so it's in the early morning hours that God is encountering Samuel and three times he speaks and three times Samuel goes to Eli thinking that it is Eli calling him. And when it finally dawns on Eli what is taking place, he says to Samuel, go back and lie down. And when he speaks to you again, say, speak, Lord, verse 9, for your servant hears. And then God communicates to Samuel before he's going to communicate through Samuel. He tells Samuel first, and then he's telling Samuel that he needs to go tell Eli. And the message is identical to the one given by that unnamed man in chapter 2. God is going to punish Eli and his family because of the sins of his sons and because Eli knew about it and did nothing to restrain them. That is certainly a heavy message to lay upon a 12-year-old boy in our terms who then is instructed to go give that message to his spiritual father, the priest. I certainly don't think Samuel got any more sleep the rest, of that even, the rest of that night. I could just picture him lying there awake, tossing and turning, wondering how in the world he is going to do this. No doubt he is afraid to tell Eli what the Lord has told him, and rightfully so. A teenage boy hearing from God for the first time, Is he going to get up in the morning and just write it off as some dream? Is he going to decide that this message is not from God and it's certainly going to be difficult to deliver? And so he's just not going to do it. Would he second-guess the communication from God, convincing himself that he didn't really hear what he thought he heard? Or is he going to be faithful and communicate this message as difficult as it might be and begin his life as a prophet of God? Well, it takes a little prodding from Eli, but Samuel does faithfully share what God had told him as difficult as it must be, not only for him to say, but for Eli to hear. But for all of the faults of Eli, and there are many, I mean, we could talk here about poor parenting. We could talk about not holding people accountable. We could talk about the responsibility that is incumbent upon a priest. There's a lot of things we could criticize about Eli here. But of all those things, we need to give him a little credit at least. Look at verse 18 once again. Eli is given this message from the Lord through Samuel This message that says he's about to bring judgment upon his entire house, which means him and his two sons. And Eli's response, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Isn't that amazing? Now, granted, this is not the first time he's heard this. But the fact of the matter is he knew that he was deserving of this punishment And so he doesn't play the victim. He doesn't shift the blame. He does not excuse his lack of action. He accepts the righteous actions of God and says, This judgment is from God. Let him do as he sees fit. It is certainly difficult to have difficult conversations with people. I know I don't like those kinds of conversations. I wind up procrastinating, having difficult conversations. And in the meantime, I worry and think about all the ramifications, all the consequences of what I need to say, and what might be the results of me actually saying that. And I tend to contemplate the worst case scenarios. So when I finally do have those conversations, it's usually not nearly as bad as I've imagined. Because I've imagined all the worst case scenarios. And yet I've wasted a lot of time in the process because I didn't want to bring the issues up. That's true in all kinds of relationships in our lives. It's true of church attendees who want to come on a Sunday morning and hear a positive message. Who therefore put pressure, and I'm not talking about you, I don't think you do this. But put pressure on pastors to only preach positive and encouraging sermons. Do not say anything too convicting. You can talk about sin, but just do it in general. Don't do it in any kind of specific manner. And yet, if that's what people are getting in their steady diet of preaching from God's word, then they're not going to grow as they need to. So, like it or not, sometimes difficult conversations are necessary in your home, in your workplace. And yes, also in the church, both from the pulpit and between individuals. I mean, that's part of God using the body of Christ for us to hold one another accountable. The church needs to come together and hear, thus says the Lord. Not the message that I want to hear today, but what does God have to say to me and to us? This text ends by telling us that all of Israel knew that Samuel was a prophet. That phrase, Dan to Beersheba, something I learned when we were in Israel. I'd read that many times in Scripture, but I never quite understood what it meant. It's a way of saying all of Israel. It's like us saying north to south, because that's what it is, Dan to Beersheba. It encompasses the entire region of Israel. And when it says there that his words did not fall to the ground, it means that the words that Samuel said came true. They were fulfilled because he was indeed a prophet of God. In other words, God continued to communicate to Samuel and God continued to communicate through Samuel to the people of Israel. Now throughout this series on ancient encounters, we've tried to show not just the ancient encounter itself between an individual and God, but we've tried to show that it's applicable to us. We are not just interested in Bible history, walking away from here knowing more about Samuel and Eli, but we want Bible application. So how does God communicating through Samuel apply to us? Well, in one sense, you already know the answer to that question because this is a part of Scripture. And all Scripture is given by God and is therefore profitable, even as we'll see in just a few moments in spite of the interesting fact that the book of 1 Samuel is never quoted in the New Testament. It still is part of Scripture and therefore does speak to us. But I also want you to see and to hear clearly so that there is no confusion, that God does still speak through his people, and that includes us. Now, here's the part I want you to hear very clearly. I am not saying that you or I could be a prophet like Samuel. I am not saying that you nor I have words that are infallible, spoken as if directly from God for new revelation that in and of itself must be true. I am not trying to say that at all. I am simply saying, like we said last week, that God uses means to accomplish his purposes, and sometimes those means are us. We talked about the Great Commission last week. And how we are commissioned to go and make disciples. Well, that includes proclaiming the gospel. So God uses us to spread his word, something we normally call evangelism. It also involves encouraging other believers with our speech, holding them accountable, confirming, etc., Again, our words are not on par with Scripture, but God does communicate to people through people, especially as we apply our third point. So number one, God communicates through silence. Number two, he communicates through Samuel. And in a certain sense, that means through us as well. But number three, God communicates through Scripture. Now, I realize that I am going a little bit beyond this ancient encounter with this point and the next, but again, we're trying to apply the encounter and answer the question, does God still communicate to us? And the answer is a very clear yes, and that is primarily done because God has spoken through his word. Now, I understand that God's word does not answer every question we have. I realize that it does not speak directly to every situation you encounter. And that's usually what we mean when we say we want God to speak. We're talking about an area of our life where the Bible does not speak directly or clearly. Such as, tell me specifically which school to attend. What job or career should I pursue? Which spouse should I marry? Well, that's not a great example because most of us only have one option, right? I mean, it's not like we've got a string of people just waiting to marry us. But there are these kinds of decisions in our lives where we want God to answer. And because of these countless daily decisions that we acknowledge that the Bible doesn't specifically address, we want something else. And so sometimes we go with our impressions or a sense of peace or our gut. And while some of those things might have some validity, they are also dangerous because they are so subjective. But again, the truth of the matter is God has spoken to us through his word and given us everything we need for life and godliness. In other words, Scripture is sufficient not only for salvation, but Scripture is sufficient for godly living. And on top of that, Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit has been given to us to bring to mind the things that were taught to us. That is, those things that have been revealed in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is within us enabling us to remember and understand the Word of God. But you understand that's not, that's not magic. The Holy Spirit is not going to bring to mind verses of Scripture that you've never read nor never heard. And so you have a part to play in that. Again, you've got to study the Word of God. Just like we talked about Joshua last week, Joshua was told to meditate upon the Word. And in that case, it meant the first five books of the Bible. We, too, must do the same thing. And for us, it means both the Old and the New Testament. And frankly, this may be the primary reason we don't hear God communicating with us because we don't avail ourselves of the primary means by which He has communicated. And when we do, we often don't think we have the tools to interpret it correctly, or we think we do. But the fact of the matter is, we come to wrong conclusions. After spring break, I'm going to start a Wednesday night series on some of the most misinterpreted and misapplied verses in Scripture. We're going to look at those in their context and see what what is normally thought of concerning those verses and what the truth really is. And so if you're not involved in any way on Wednesday nights, you're certainly welcome to join us. We read this past week in Deuteronomy, and I love it anytime I can bring in our read through the Bible plan into into what I'm talking about on Sunday mornings. But in Deuteronomy 8 this past week, we read these words, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That was a a summary that Moses was giving before they went into the promised land, going over the last 40 years, and he's asking the question, why did God allow us to wander in the wilderness? Why did God feed us with manna all of these days? And his answer is, so that he could humble you and test you to see if you would turn to the Lord and hear his voice. You might be familiar with those verses because Jesus quotes them in his own time of temptation in the wilderness. But it is equally true of us. Life is not primarily about food and shelter, careers and family, as important as those things are. Life is ultimately about our relationship with God, and He has communicated all we need to know through the Scriptures. So have you come to learn that you cannot live on physical food alone, but you must feast upon and digest the Word of God? I'm confident you've had the experience of being startled awake in the middle of the night. You've heard some sound. You don't instantly know what that sound is, but you've been awakened by it. And so now you're, you're propped up in bed. Your heart is racing and you're trying to process what it is you think you heard. And to figure out what it is, maybe you even get up out of bed bravely, beginning to walk through the house, trying to figure out the source of this sound. I've had times when I thought I heard the doorbell ring in the middle of the night. And I don't know if it really rang or if I had dreamed it. And so I lay there awake trying to figure out if it's going to ring again. You know that in such times it's difficult to go back to sleep because your mind and your heart are now going. Perhaps spiritually that's exactly what needs to happen to some of us. To awaken us from our slumber, to arouse us from our sleep so that we are wide awake and ready to listen. We know that God does communicate. And we know that God communicates clearly because there's no point in communicating if the message cannot be understood and received. And so we need to listen to the word of God. I need to hurry. And so my last point is God communicates through his son Back in chapter 2, we read, or we do read, about Samuel. It says, now the young man Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Sounds a lot like what was said of Jesus, doesn't it? Nearly the identical words were used of him as a boy. He's the only one, of course, that holds all three Old Testament titles, prophet, priest, and king. But listen to the words of Hebrews chapter 1. The writer there says, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, Samuel included. But in these last days, he has spoken unto us by his son. That is, in the Old Testament times, God spoke through his prophets in many different ways. But in our time, God has spoken clearly through his son. What exactly does that mean? It means that there is now an additional way, an ultimate way that God is speaking, and it is through the sending, the sacrifice, and the resurrection of His Son, Jesus. His life, death, and resurrection are the ultimate expression of His love for you and of His plan for your life. Again, we want God to write things down. We want that plan for our life written down. And the truth of the matter is, it has been. It is seen. It is in His Son. Now, that might not include every detail that you would like, but it does include the most important, and that is how you can be saved from your sin, live a life of glory to God, and live with Him eternally. Are you listening to the message of the gospel and what it says about how much God loves you and wants a relationship with you? A relationship that does not start in heaven someday, but begins the moment you repent of your sins and by faith, trust in Him. And then this relationship grows as you gradually get to know him through his revealed word. God is communicating through his son. The question is, are you listening? And will you then respond? Have you ever noticed how certain sounds or voices you can hear very clearly, even when there's a lot of other noises and a lot of other distractions? For example, you recognize the voice of your children, even in a, crowded store or a stadium because you know their voice you know the voice of your spouse even amidst all the other distractions because you've heard that voice before and you've heard that tone before my point is that sometimes we hear what we want to hear like the senior adult who never hears anything until you talk about them and then suddenly their hearing is great We call it selective hearing. That may be what some of us have. The ability to hear all kinds of other voices, the voice of culture, the voice of friends, the voice of social media, the voice of family. But we're not tuned in nor focused on the voice of God communicating to us. Again, I am not talking about some mystical experience or some audible voice. But God still is communicating. The question is, are you listening? And if so, will you respond like Samuel? Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for communicating to us, sometimes through silence, sometimes through other people, primarily through your word, and ultimately through your son. I pray that we would focus our attention on you, that we would hear your voice and say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. (laughs)